here at TYT, we recently got into a controversy. Uh, if you watch TYT Network, you're thinking, of course, when don't you? Here's a twist though, with our own audience and some of our own contributors. So we're gonna talk that through. Uh, before I bring on our guests to talk about it, uh, I'm gonna show you the original clip of Anna and I talking about this issue, uh, and then we'll uh, discuss. Let's watch. I'm speculating that she doesn't want to say mothers. Because yeah. mothers is gendered and she's worried yeah. about offending, birthing people, like birthing people, really? Come on. For me, it's not even like, oh, I don't want to be inclusive and I don't want to think of, you know, transgender people. It's the phrasing, like, it just makes you sound like a weird object that, like, you're just, you're a vessel and nothing more. Like, birthing people just sounds weird. Like, I, if I were pregnant and someone referred to me as a birthing person, I would feel like, why why are you calling me that? You know what I'm saying? It, like It's gonna drive everyone away from you. And it's gonna lead to a situation where it's harder to win those rights that we're all fighting for rather than easier to win. So uh, let me show you the tweet that started that whole uh, controversy in the first place. And then I'll bring in Sandy, talk about it. Uh, so it was from uh, Dr. Michelle Morrison. It said, the urgency of this moment is clear. Mortality rates of birthing people are too high. And babies born to black and Puerto Rican mothers in this city are three times more likely to die in their first year of life than babies born to non-Hispanic white birthing people. All right, and now uh, to on to talk with us about it is Sandy Lovas. She's a contributor for us at Rebel Headquarters. She's from Canada, longtime TYT viewer as well. And our first international contributor, which I like a lot, Sandy, great to have you on. Hi, it's great to meet you. All right, wonderful. So Sandy, uh, go ahead, kick my ass. What did I do wrong? Uh, tell me what okay. the issue is. So right now, People who are non-binary, people who are trans men are coming out more and more. And there's actually, it's not that there's an increase in people who identify as this, it's just that they're becoming more comfortable. Like right now, the recent stat is about 20% of Gen Zs actually feel like they are part of the LGBTQ community. So what's happening is we're trying to find new language to help include everyone. I myself am non-binary, so as Anna says that she wouldn't want to be referred to as a birthing person, well, I don't want to be referred to as mother should I have a child. So it's a matter of trying to find a word that includes everyone who's capable of having children, like actually being pregnant, but includes everyone, including people who would identify as mother. It's the same as like you have brother, sister, sibling, mother, father, parent, husband, wife, spouse. You have the gender neutral terms, it doesn't replace any of the other terms, but it includes everyone, even people who don't necessarily identify as that gender. Okay, so that's great. And I love this because this is not a debate, this is a discussion, so we all understand each other, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Sandy, first of all, so, so I get the sense of the activists in the community right. So they're not, but again, if I get it wrong, tell me, okay? So they're not saying, uh, that we should call all mothers birthing people. They're saying if they want to be referred to as birthing people, then refer to them that way. Is that right? Or Correct. Um, we're not saying we're going to replace the word mother. And even the term birthing person or birthing people isn't even settled on. Personally, I use child bearer because again, it's new language, it's going to be clumsy. Uh, the woman who tweeted that out, you know, she should have been consistent throughout. But when new language starts, it's always going to be sounding clumsy. The right will never buy into it because they wouldn't no matter what. 
And the way to get people in the center and the left to actually buy into it is to use it and normalize it. Because we've been through these transformations in language before. We used to only ever say police men, and then it changed to women, police women. But then that was getting confusing because you didn't know which gender they were, you were misgendering, so it became police officer. So it's a matter of trying to find a balance of words that don't necessarily sound clumsy, something that we can all kind of come on, come in on and agree with in the future. But since it is still newer terms, newer language coming up, there is no consensus yet on what those words should be. So Sandy, as, as we clarified in another show after that one, there's no issue with us referring to people in the way that they want to be referred, right? So if somebody mm -hmm. wants to be referred to as a birthing person or a childbearer as opposed to a mother, I have no issue with that at all, right? Um, but in the context of that tweet, Sandy, it seemed like she was referring to it as a general term for all mothers. And that's where I would say, at minimum, politically, I would not do that. Mm -hmm. I think that it puts people off, they're confused by it. And, in, and, and especially conservatives, I mean, you're never gonna conservatives anyway, but maybe conservative independents, right? Um, they're scared of change, right? And all of a sudden, when they hear something so foreign to them, they go, "Oh, hell no, no, no! I'm not. A, nobody's going to call me a birthing person. I'm a mother, right?" And especially on an issue like that. So, do you see what I'm saying by the critique of that tweet that refers to mm -hmm. mothers in general as birthing people? Yes, I do, and I understand what you were trying to say in it. It's just in that particular clip. You came across as very dismissive, like saying for the nine people it's going to include, is it really worth this? But if you look even at your own audience here on TYT, like 7% of adults are identifying LGBTQ+. And since this is a left-leaning network, that percentage watching this is going to be even higher. So if you have, let's say 10% of your audience is LGBTQ+, and a large portion of them are people who are capable of having babies, but don't identify as a woman. It really feels like you just kind of dismiss that whole part of us. Because I do agree right now, the right is using us as a distraction. But it's kind of like throwing a bomb into a crowd so that they can go rob the bank. There are people who are losing their jobs, suffering, that are under constant threat, being harassed. And now children who are transgender are literally being erased because of this legislations that are going through. This is going to cause a higher suicide rate among them. Because it doesn't matter how many hugs you can give them, how many words that you can tell them. They are being taken apart bit by bit with this legislation and it's devastating. So Sandy, here's what I'm worried about. So first of all, there's a difference between the LGBTQ community. So you say it's up to 20% now in Gen Z. I'm not remotely surprised by that. And I've actually been saying on the show for nearly 20 years, the right wing is not necessarily wrong about the cultural wars in that they say, "Oh my God, if you just allowed people to be gay, a lot more people would be gay. And I always said, yeah, that's true, right? But why are we stopping them from their own true nature? What a weird thing to say, like, like don't let them be what they really, really wanna be. So it would seem to be against freedom. So I, I'm perfectly aware of the spectrum and that if you, the more freedom that we have, of course, more people in the spectrum will be part of the LGBTQ plus community, right? So, but people who are childbearing but don't want to be referred to as mothers, that is not 20%, that is not 7%. 
That is a very, very small number. Okay, now you, I understand what you're saying about how my language sounded dismissive, right? And I, and I don't want to be that. But Sandy, if we start calling all mothers birthing people to take into account the feelings of that very, very, very small number, we're going to do more damage to the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. because it's going to turn off so many people that are, oh, that's it. Well, then I'm not left because there's no way anybody's going to call me a birthing person. Uh, so, but again, we're not trying to erase the word mother. We're just trying to add a term that's more inclusive. Yeah, and and I, Sandy, I hear what you're saying too. Because you, what are you going to do? You have to add a word, right? And you're right. These new words are tough, right? Some are clunky, some are awkward, some are just new, and new sounds, you know, uh, off to some people. Uh, but I just okay. So the most important thing I think that we've established here is that that people are not trying to apply it to all mothers. And because if that was the case, I think that that would be deeply counterproductive. I'm just keeping it real on a, in a political sense. Um, and then, then there really isn't that much disagreement. Like if you said to me, I'm gonna have a kid, Jenk, and I want you to call me a childbearer, of course. What am I gonna call you, something you don't wanna be called? Your name is Sandy Lobos, am I supposed to call you a different name, <laughs> right? And by the way, the answer is yes for the right wing, right? So when. Mm -hmm. uh, Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar changed their names to Muslim names for a long, long time. They would not be called by that name. They would be called by their uh, Christian names. So, no, well, of course we're not going to do that. And I appreciate the opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to to work these things out. Uh, all right, I guess last thing on it, Sandy, is um, when it is a new word, how do we decide as a community what the new word is, right? Because that is. Like you're gonna think one thing makes sense, the other person's gonna think the other one that sounds awkward, but the other one is good. I'm gonna have a completely different opinion. How do we have a conversation without offending people, but at the same time trying to be inclusive enough to get to the right word that helps the community rather than hurts the community? Well, it's like any new language in any area. It's whatever just happens to catch on to the biggest population. You know, it's not like you can just go to a certain group of people and pull them because you're going to have multiple different opinions. So like with tech, there's often new words that pop up and eventually there's just one word that catches on and people coalesce around that. And so that's what it's going to take with this. It's going to take a bit of time. It's going to take people saying clumsy terms and it's going to take you know, people actually being willing to try out terms and accepting these new terms. So Sandy, you have something in how you're referred to that is also challenging for people who are not used to it. Your pronouns are she and her, but on your titles, you're Mr. slash Sir and folk, right? So for people yeah. who are not familiar with that, that is gonna <laughs> throw them for a loop, yeah. okay? So well, I'll also, yeah. I'll also go by they, them, but I also, I'm very, open about it and I never get on people's case if they misgender me. That's not an issue for me. Okay, so that's another thing, real quick because we're almost out of time. But um, I have a sense that the transgender community is the most victimized community in the country. That one, that one's not a sense, that one's real, that's a fact, right? Um, but, but then oftentimes they'll strike back, and this is the most gross generalization, okay? But I'm trying to have a conversation here. I need to facilitate the conversation, right? By saying, hey, if you mess up the, the, uh, the pronouns, etc., that's deeply offensive. But people are just learning these things. 
should we give them a little bit of more leeway to get it to take some time to get it right as long as they're not being condescending and purposely mean etc well it goes a little bit both ways like generally if a person presents one way like i present female i'm never going to get upset at somebody referring to me as a lady or a woman but for some people who may be presenting ways that are unclear it depends on really what's been happening with them that day too, because maybe they've been purposely misgendered 10 times already, or people have been getting on their case and then somebody just accidentally misgenders them and they've reached their breaking point. Mm. So it takes patience and understanding on both sides. Yeah, I love this conversation. All right, thank you, Sandy. And everybody check out Sandy on Rebel Headquarters where she's doing wonderful new videos. And I love that you're a contributor too. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for you know being part of a community that checks itself and, and, and learns and grows together. This has been great, thank you so much. No problem. Can a lib music teacher win a congressional race in the heart of Kentucky? Well, let's find out. William Compton joins us. He's running in Kentucky's second district, and he is, in fact, a music teacher and fairly too very progressive. So, very curious how this is going to turn out. William, welcome. Thank you, Jenk. It's good to be here. Uh, all right, great. Uh, so, uh, William, Ed, I think I read that you were had worked at McDonald's at one point. Is that true? Yes, sir. Okay. And now you're a music teacher teaching strings. So it's, you know, in some races you'll see identity emphasized, and you're part of the LGBTQ community, but you emphasize working class issues. And so I want to ask about the contours of this race and how winnable it is in a second, but tell me why you decided to emphasize working class issues as your theme. Because these are the people that are in the second district. These people have been neglected for many, many years. My family was in this group. My father was self-employed and my mother worked as a nurse in the district when I was growing up. So these people are the people of Kentucky and they're the ones who need their voices heard. And so that's why I decided to make their issues a priority in my campaign. Okay, that that makes perfect sense to me. Um, so now let's let's talk through the race here. First of all, are there any other Democrats in uh, in the primary? There is another Democrat named Hank Flinderman who ran in 2018 and in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then on the Republican side, you have the incumbent. Uh, so how red is this district in Kentucky? After our redistricting, it is about a 42% Democrat versus a 46% Republican kind of split of registered voters. Now, in the past, we've seen Democrats vote for the Republicans. And actually, in 2020, the Democratic candidate ended up only getting 29.2% of the vote. Hmm, that's interesting. So that's the guy you're running against in the primary, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so, what after was the split between Democrats and Republicans larger before the redistricting? It honestly didn't change much for my district. Um, we just added a little bit to the west and a little bit up north into Jefferson County, and so it didn't change. 
a whole lot I on the you. split. Yeah, so it's it's not a big change in Kentucky. But the reason I ask is because the Republicans are redistricting all over the country. So Democrats are redistricting some blue states too. But in a in a red state like Kentucky, it'll create more Republican districts, although Kentucky's small, so like in Florida, it has created many more Republican districts, but at the expense of making those districts less Republican, right? And so it at least gives people like William a shot at winning. So, so that's an interesting turn of events. So now, talk to me about how if you let's start with if you win the primary, how do you beat a Republican when the last Democrat only got twenty nine percent in that district? Well, I'm already doing something the last Democrat hasn't done, and that's actually reaching the voters. I've already started going door to door in my community. I'm a representative in the city of Plum Springs, and I've started going door to door there and around Warren County. I'm mobilizing the youth at our local university, Western Kentucky University. And they have already started writing postcards for my campaign to get the word out. And I'm like I said, I'm just doing what the previous candidate hasn't done, and that's actually reach voters. That's why the Republicans have won in this district. No one has let anyone know about their voting records, and no one has really put forth effort in recent elections. And that's my plan moving forward. I've started it now, and I'll continue it even after the primary. Why, in your case, what did the Republican in your district do that was not helpful to the voters in that district? Where do I begin? There's a huge list. I'll start with the most recent. When the House of Representatives voted on capping insulin, our representative Brett Guthrie, he voted against it. The American Rescue Plan, he voted against the American Rescue Plan. And then when it gave funding to our public schools, he came to our public schools and talked about how amazing the funding was. <laughs> he he voted against the Domestic Violence Act of 2021 only weeks after a young lady in our district was murdered in a domestic violence case and he voted against that. And and again, there's a long list of votes that he has voted no on that could have really helped the people in this district. Yeah, that makes sense. And by the way, the website's WilliamCompton.com, WilliamCompton.com. So William, what made you, like you're now a Plum Springs City Commission member. So, and you're you're actually very young. And what made you get into politics and how, how'd you win that seat? I actually started getting into politics in 2016. Um, During the primary of that election, I was in my final uh, year of college and Senator Sanders was a big motivator. I heard him speak, he visited Bowling Green and he really sparked um, that flame in me to look into what our political leaders were doing. And then from there, I just started following the, the vote trails and kept being involved everywhere. And then when I moved out here in Plum Springs, I wanted to see what our local city was doing. And it was pretty much radio silent the entire time I tried to reach out to them. And so I decided it was late into the cycle in 2020 
to run as a write-in candidate. And I was fortunate to, to actually have enough votes to get on the city commission. And ever since then, I've been trying to fight to bring transparency into our city commission. So William, I just find that story interesting. I'm always curious when an underdog wins. And so you're a massive underdog, you're just a working class guy, never been in politics, no name recognition, nothing, right? And you do a write-in campaign, that's infinitely harder. So what do you think you did there that helped you to win? I talked to people in the city. Well, that's it, okay. That's, it's, it's, yeah, it's just that simple. I talked to them and, and everyone in the city, uh, they feel like that they weren't being heard by our city commission. And and so me going to them, me talking to them and asking if they would write my name on the ballot uh, was a big motivator for these people. And, and it's that simple, just going out and talking to them. Okay, so you mentioned that Bernie Sanders inspired you to get into this politics and into this race eventually. So you're progressive in the heart of Kentucky. When you talk to voters now in this race, in the congressional race, what are the issues that resonate most with Kentucky voters? Where they go, hey, you know what? You got a good point there, William, on that one. The one that resonates the most at the beginning of conversations is legalizing marijuana and sports betting in our state. If you haven't followed any of Kentucky's state legislature policies, there was a medical marijuana bill that was halted by one state rep or state senator and it's widely supported across the district. And so I always start with something like that. You know, I'm fully in support of legalizing marijuana nationwide, recreational and medical use. And when I start with that, a lot of people open up their mind. It's almost like teaching. Uh, you gotta have to get the foot in the door to get them to start listening. And then I moved to healthcare. Everybody has to have healthcare at some point. And I talked to them about the rising healthcare costs. And of course, again, everyone faces those healthcare costs. And I start talking to them about how I support Medicare for all and how it would save them money every single year versus what they're paying now. And those are the big motivators that are going throughout the district. I'll tell you what, man, I don't know if people are already growing <laughs> marijuana in Kentucky, but if it was legal, that would be a very natural industry for Kentucky that would create a lot of jobs, right? Yes, and it's expected that if it was legal, Kentucky in the first year alone would get $1 billion in revenue. Oh My God, you get high revenue, and yeah. you get cash, what else do you want? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay, no, but seriously, William, you could make a little bit of history there if if you run mainly on the marijuana legalization issue. That is intensely popular and and dismissed by the Democratic establishment because they're approximately ninety eight years old on average, and they still think it's the nineteen eighties, and they're like, just say no. <laughs> but as you're saying, that's the number one issue that resonates with your voters. So have you considered doing a Gary Chambers like ad? I don't know if you saw it where he's smoking the joint on in the ad. I have seen that and he is very bold to do that. I still have to remember I am a school teacher. So I do still have to keep that mindset. Um, but I will not hesitate to let people know that I was in college, I've done it before. 
and it 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 should be legal. It shouldn't it shouldn't be an issue. And then on top of that, we should decriminalize anyone who went to jail for marijuana charges as well. Okay, and I, I want to. So we're almost out of time, so I want to come back to the second issue that you mentioned, which is healthcare. So when you talk to conservative voters, I'm curious what they say about healthcare um, because we almost never hear what conservative voters want from healthcare. We always hear what they don't want. Oh, we don't want Obamacare. We don't want mandates. But what do they want? They want just like everybody else. They want it to be cheaper. And when I mentioned Medicare for all, at first they always kind of jump back and they're like, "Oh, that's the boogeyman." But then I start describing how it's going to save them money. Think about Representative Katie Porter when she talked about the administrative costs savings that switching to Medicare for all would save our nation. And then. I get the question, well, what about our private insurance? And with my plan, you can have private insurance, but it would be an extension of the Medicare that you would already have in the government. So everyone gets the basic health care they need to survive. But if you want something extra for extra care, you can have that private insurance. You're more than willing to have that. And a lot of people are like, well, we haven't heard that option before. And it resonates a lot with the conservative voters. Yeah, and that's because TV lied to them. Mainstream media lied to them, yep. right wing media lied to them. And so, by the way, Medicare is a private option. You could layer on private insurance. You should tell them, just go talk to your parents. When I talk to my dad, my dad, every time I talk to him about Medicare, he's like, I love it. He's like, I had this surgery and that surgery. I didn't have to pay anything. That's amazing, right? And your mom had these. Things and we didn't have to pay. Imagine if the whole country had it. Kentucky would love it. They have no idea how much they're being duped by not just conservatives, but also mainstream Democrats. So, William Compton, a progressive in the heart of Kentucky, spitting truth out, and it's kind of working. So, everybody check out WilliamCompton.com. And then he could be both straight out of Kentucky and straight out of Compton. Yes. Okay. All right, William, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem.